Welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, good things happen. Hi, I'm Mara Davis, and I'm on the edge. I am on the edge of my seat. I'm nervous. I'm also a radio and TV host. And I am State Senator Jen Jordan, and I am a voter. Got that vote in the bank. Um, For anybody who showed up early, you did too. Pat yourself on the back. First of all, the amount of early voting is off the charts, off the charts all over the country. But in Georgia, what do our numbers look like? Oh, my gosh. We're right at 3.9 million, which is incredible, especially in light of the fact in 2016, which saw record turnout in the state overall, we only had a total of 4.1 million voters. So let that sink in. Like, 3.9 million voters have already voted, and we still have Election Day on Tuesday. I have to say, watching everybody voting for the past couple of weeks, I definitely had FOMO. I was like, I want to vote again! It it just, it is exciting, but what does it really mean? I think that's where I feel so nervous and uncomfortable. I think we all have 2016 PTSD that nobody wants to be confident in anything, even though we have so many unique voters this time around, mostly in young people. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, for example, just in my state Senate district, a third of the early votes um, are all under 40, um, and then about a third are new voters, people who did not vote in 2016 or even 2018. So, you know, we've got record turnout, and on top of it, we've actually got record turnout for young voters, and also we've got this whole slew of first-time voters. So when you're listening to this, um, this is the day before the election, which this is being released, so we're going to try to keep things a little bit evergreen because we don't know. I mean, look, if you were looking at the Monday before the election day on t- in 2016, I do think people were still nervous before the Clinton-Trump election. Look, I think the thing about the, the Clinton-Trump election is what you saw on social media was a lot of, well, you know, I voted for the Democrat, but I didn't like it. Um, and so it's one of those things, or there was a choice, but there was, between two bad choices, I had to pick between two bad choices. You're really not seeing that this time. Um, what you're seeing are people incredibly excited and energized just to cast their ballot. And that is way different than 2016. So we don't know what's going to happen, but let's go over some of the crazy things that have happened uh, in the past couple of days. Wow, a lot. First off, you had a televised debate between the Senate candidates, uh, Senator David Perdue and John Ossoff, which became a national sensation. Now, I watched it in real time. Jen, did you watch it in real time too? No, I can never do that. I get so nervous. <laughs> I feel like, I just feel like a, like a nervous mother, you know, because I just can't, I just get so, you know, when you've been there and you've been in those situations, you just know what people are feeling. Um, And so it's just, it's almost too much for me. Well, there was a moment that went extremely viral, over 15 million views on social media, and this is what went down. Well, perhaps Senator Perdue would have been able to respond properly to the COVID-19 pandemic if you hadn't been fending off multiple federal investigations for insider trading. It's not just that you're a crook, Senator. It's that you're attacking the health 
of the people that you represent. You did say COVID-19 was no deadlier than the flu. You did say there would be no significant uptick in cases. All the while, you were looking after your own assets and your own portfolio, and you did vote four times to end protections for pre-existing conditions. Four times. And the legislation that you tout, the PROTECT Act, it includes loopholes that specifically allow insurance companies to deny policies to Georgians with pre-existing conditions. Can you look down the camera and tell the people of this state why you voted four times to allow insurance companies to deny us health coverage because we may suffer from diabetes or heart disease or asthma or have cancer in remission? Why, Senator? So, the most incredible part of that is Purdue's response, which was, there didn't really seem to be one, right? Like, literally, you have John Ossoff calling him a crook to his face and basically just delivering pummel after pummel after pummel. And David Perdue is just standing there with some kind of odd grin. It's really weird, and my favorite part is when he's trying to get a word in, he has one finger up, which I screenshot, and now I like reply to a lot of people's tweets with David Perdue, because it looks like he's trying to order a gin and tonic at Sea Island, where he hides most of the time. But number one, there were so many windows for him to interrupt there. Easily could have interrupted. No, go back and listen to, go back and listen to the clip. It's almost as if John kind of knew when he was supposed to interrupt because you would see him kind of say something and then pause and then nothing happens. And he's like, well, all right, we're just going to keep on going then. (laughs) I mean, because my guess is during debate prep, you know, they had this question, he has this response, and then whoever was playing Purdue responded, but the real Senator Purdue did not. It was pretty wild. My favorite part, my personal favorite was when... Ossoff kind of said to Purdue what a lot of us were thinking and we've talked about on this podcast several times is the basically the accusations that he's a terrorist and he's a Chinese communist and the anti-Semitism that Purdue has used in his ads against John Ossoff. And as far as I'm concerned, you can attack the policies and the ideas all you want, but there's been some anti-Semitic stuff that I find as a Jewish person, I mean, as anybody would would find offensive. And he has not been held accountable for it, Purdue. I mean, maybe he's like, maybe my constituents like that, some of them. Well, one of the things that is interesting to me is that John went off and kind of rattled off the various things, whether it's a Chinese communist or um, a terrorist from the Middle East or being Jewish, whatever it is. But the but the tie between all of them is kind of being other, right? Right. Being someone that's not like you. Right. Radical. Um, He's just radical. radical, which is crazy because John Ossoff grew up here in the state of Georgia. I mean, he went to Padilla like that. That guy is. I mean, he's Georgia, born and bred. Well, when I interviewed him, I did an Instagram live with him and I asked him, um, you know, what he's been doing. And I don't see someone who has a plant collection as someone who's entirely radical. I wish we were hanging out in person together, but what's like, you know, is there a guilty pleasure or something that we don't? Not a a guilty pleasure, but I will tell you all that I have succumbed totally to 
um, the houseplant craze of the pandemic era. Oh, yes. I yeah. Love in it. fact, in fact, I'm going to take y'all real quick. Hold on one second. I'm going to take okay, y'all real see. quick to see this corner here because I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. We have. Oh, my God. This is serious plant action. We have some serious indoor gardening going on here. We got lemons, limes, and avocados uh, on the go. You know, plants are hot right now. So my husband is <laughs> a gardener. And they make, gardeners make very good husbands, I'll have to say. Okay, so plants are hot. So he's in the moment. Anyway, <laughs> that was absolutely insane. Then you've got Kemp, who... Uh, wait, wait, and you forgot that then they were supposed to have another debate. Oh, that he canceled. On Sunday, that he canceled. I mean, and then, of course, we had the hashtag, basically, Purdue Chicken, um, kind of pop up. I mean, it's kind of like, this is a United States senator, right? Yeah. Like, and he won't even debate the challenger? It's it's pretty pathetic, but... but it, they say, or his campaign has said, that it's because he wants to be at the Trump rally on Sunday night. Incidentally, uh, oh, well, you're listening to this on Monday. So he canceled to rally along with Trump in an area that is, by the way, has a lot of COVID cases and it's rising there and schools are on quarantine there. So not the greatest place to be. But yet there and canceling the debate. And now you've got the governor who is isolating or ish because he was in close proximity to somebody who uh, tested positive for COVID. That's somebody being a U.S. congressman who he was with when they were stumping for Trump in response to Vice President Biden's visit to Georgia. So it's, you know, there's a lot of of interesting lines that are running through this. Yeah. Still, anything could happen. So if you're listening today and you haven't voted yet, please go ahead and, and vote. And we're just going to have to wait and see how this one plays out. Stand in line. Don't get out. No matter what you do, make sure that you vote. Okay. Moving on, want to read some listener mail. By the way, we love... Any feedback, it is so nice to get feedback about anything, especially when you're relatively new podcasters the way we are. I got this email from Catherine, and Catherine wrote in just and said, uh, listener mail from Austria. Just wanted to give you a shout out from Vienna, Austria. I've been listening since you started. I'm a Georgia voter who's lived abroad for 20 years, and your message and your sure jans give me life. Mara, you're the voice of my teenage years. And when I think of your voice, I'm 19 again, riding down North Decatur Road in my beat up Volvo. Jen, thank you for your voice on HB 481 descent last year in March. I watched it ugly crying from my couch in Vienna. I'd love it if you'd give a shout out to all the Georgia voters from abroad. There are so many of us. Thanks for putting together this podcast. Oh my God, Catherine, thank you so much for that note. That was really like super cool, by the way. We love this note. And here's what's funny about that too. I can look at the podcast analytics as far as where people are listening from. By the way, I can share that with you, Jen, but Jen's very busy. So I'm not going to buy, I like to just text her and tell her, I was like, we have a listener from Austria. <laughs> I mean, look far and wide, right? So 
Catherine, and then she said Libegru. I don't know how to say that. Yeah, me either. Sorry. So I got nervous. I wasn't going to say it, but Catherine, thank you so much for that. And Vienna, Austria is actually someplace I've always wanted to visit. And when we're allowed to leave the country, (laughs) I think we should plan a trip. Yeah, we could like, we could do kind of a field trip for the podcast. Take it international. Sounds good to me. Are you up for it, Catherine? So as we don't know the results and as we're still having PTSD from 2016, I want to get something on your radar that we're all comfortable with, and that is food and drink on election night. A lot of people doing different things this year. I think in 2016, a lot of folks were in a celebratory mood. This year, it's... (sighs) Right? So what's interesting is as a candidate and someone who runs races every two years, you know, we've had really big election night parties since 2016. And it's always a lot of fun because really you're trying to celebrate. It's really about the people who've supported you, right? So you're trying to give them a place to come, um, to have community and fellowship. Everybody's tired but excited. It's like a thank you for all your hard work. It is a super big thank you normally. And everybody's exhausted, right? And we're excited and there's so much tension always. But this year, you know, we're not going to be able to do that because of the pandemic. And it's a little bit of a bummer. So Mary and I were like, well, let's let's talk about what we may be eating and drinking. And at least then, you know, we can share some community with respect to to election night. So I'm going to go over some of the tweets that we got. Uh, Seven Pitches said the fruit submerged in my glasses of sangria. Okay. All right. That's a good one. Shannon says lots and lots of wine from Three Parks Wine Shop, which is a black-owned business. So great. Uh, Sammy J says she's at underscore the coffee girl. I trusted the results and went to the movies in 2016. I came out two hours later, saw the news updates and went home to numbly stare at the TV till midnight. I plan to stay in on Tuesday and interact with as few people as possible. Jen, I'm hearing that a lot. People just want to go off the grid. Yeah, I think because they understand that we're not necessarily going to know especially in some of these larger states where we've had problems in the past, whether it's Florida or because there are so many absentee ballots coming in that have to be processed, which takes a really long time normally. So I think folks don't want to get their hopes up by actually thinking there's going to be a result on Election Day. But you know what? If, if nothing else, it's a time for us to all just take a deep breath and, and have a cocktail, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. At Garcia Moss, Lisa Moss says, uh, starting off with pizza and beer, uh, scattered and smothered in a large black coffee hours later. Let it be Batdoor from Bronson Dancing Goats. Give a plug to them. A lot of people saying Manuel's Tavern, which... I'm sure they have some sort of plan. It's a bummer that it's the pandemic and they don't have that parking lot from across the street, right? Yeah, it's, well, I guess no one knew a pandemic was going to come. Sean Dina says, eating, my friends Jim and Jack will be joining me with some ice and coke. People really just are feeling like they're going to be getting wasted. Well, you know, it's not, you can do it in a, in a, a pandemic friendly way. <laughs> I mean, I think what we're going to do is we're going to be outside. We'll have um, socially distanced seating in my backyard with a fire pit and some um, COVID cocktails. That's what I like to call them. Jonathan, Karen, JK, 
Karen, ATL says, uh, whatever I ate in 2016, I think I threw up. Let's hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> uh, Lightbringer says, uh, haiku underscore poet says, will be chewing my fingernails. Does that count? <laughs> and then Pam Parker, I want to give a shout out to her who um, shared Jill Biden's chicken Parmesan recipe. She did a little partnership with Tasty. I can watch those Tasty videos all day long. And she makes some chicken parm. And I love candidates or political people that share their recipes. I think that's really great. Yeah. And chicken parm is really, really good. It, it looks like a pretty easy recipe, too. The only thing is, it's, I think it is going to be a late night. So maybe heavy food isn't the way to go. Unless you're going to take a nap and then wake up, you know, around midnight. Uh, Elaine D. Simone made these Hillary cookies. She sent me these Hillary cookies, sent them to you too. And it just kind of made me sad because <laughs> they, they were, they were sad cookies. Uh, Christine says Martha Stewart's mac and cheese and a lot of wine. I think a lot of people answered comfort food. Yes. Yeah. I think we're all feeling after four years of uh, Trump, we uh, just need we just need a little comfort. A uh, Claire Frost says a public sheet cake. We really got a lot of responses to this. A uh, Taco Tuesday, and this one I almost don't want to read this one because I think it may be bad karma. But uh, ah, shit, I'll do it anyway. Dove Coward says, uh, hopefully MAGA people will be eating crow. Uh, yeah, I'm too uh, nervous. Yeah, don't say that. <laughs> I'm too nervous. I'm just. Bringing the feedback back to you, Jen. Um, also, great things. I Just a shout out to Paul Rudd. I don't know if you saw him passing out cookies to people in the polls. It was really adorable. Yes, it was. I would love a cookie from Paul Rudd. <laughs> yes, wouldn't we all? <laughs> well, uh, it's time for our next guest. Um, he is a repeat guest. And, you know, what's really happening in Georgia? Well, we're going to get the scoop. We have a lot of friends, uh, Jen Jordan and myself, but uh, Senator Jen, I'll call you by your correct title. But Charles Bethay from The New Yorker clearly is one of our most popular guests, most listened to guests, most influential guests. Uh, he, he is a fact-checking extraordinaire. When it, He is willing to get harassed by a Trump supporter at a rally and, you know, lifts us to, to tell about it. He's got a big article now in The New Yorker about Georgia where everybody has their eyes on Georgia. Charles, this just came out in The New Yorker. We don't want to say anything because we don't know the results of anything, but you're saying that Georgia is bluer than we think. Uh, let's discuss. Yeah, it's in play for sure. I mean, polls have reflected that over the last few weeks. And of course, there, everyone is is hesitant to put too much stock in polls after 2016. But the, the margins we're seeing in some of these polls in a, in a state like Georgia that just hasn't voted for Democrats uh, statewide level in, in quite a long time for, you know, for governor, for Senate, for, for president, we're seeing margins of five points and seven points for Biden. And some of those are also trickling down to Warnock and Ossoff. And that's really been borne out um, to a large degree by conversations I've been having around the state uh, which are in this article that just came out in The New Yorker. Um, people who've never voted for Democrats just finally saying enough is enough. And a lot of that having to do with the pandemic finally reaching their doorstep. And the the notion that it's a hoax, as Trump you know, put it at one point, 
um, and a lot of other Republicans kind of humored that idea has just become too, too hollow and, and too unbelievable. And, um, and so in the last three or four weeks, I've felt, I've, I've noticed a real shift. Uh, now, whether that's going to actually turn into some kind of landslide, I, I sort of doubt in a state like Georgia, but I think the margins, the margins have shifted enough that Biden, Warnock and Ossoff are all, I would say, slightly favored here, which is pretty insane. Charles, with respect to, so when Republicans took the state over, well, they started in 02 when um, former Governor Barnes was defeated in Max yeah. Cleland. Basically, they had cobbled together or they were leaning really into a lot of white suburban voters. To, to That's kind of part of their coalition that took them over the top. Um, and those voters have been pretty um, reliable in you know, the last decade or so. But now we're kind of seeing the opposite. I mean, some folks say, well, that may or may not be true. What's your read on basically suburban women in Georgia and kind of where they're trending? Yeah, I mean, I've hung hung out at at some of these precincts and, you know, and I've I've talked to other uh, folks by phone who've been voting in places like Cobb and Gwinnett, um, a lot of women. And, you know, it's all anecdotal, so I don't want to put too much stock in it, but it looks like there, there is this sort of steady tide moving in the direction of support for Democrats among women who probably, for a number of reasons, would have been inclined to vote Republican, if not for Trump's misogyny, if not for his pushing through of Supreme Court candidates who they don't like, if not for his handling the pandemic. Um, I think it's just it's it's become too much. And I think we're seeing women, middle class, upper middle class white women make that change before men. So they are sort they are they are kind of the, the prize demographic and and I've talked to a number of women who kind of fit into that you know recently shifted over uh, category. Well, and statewide, I think Georgia makes up well statewide. I think women in Georgia now make up over fifty five percent of the early vote, which is which is pretty mm-hmm. stunning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the early in the early voting has been as we've all read, it's been incredible. I mean, we're already. We're already just about where we were for, for total votes in 2016, around 4 million. And we're going to probably be 6 million um, when this is all said and done, according to the Secretary of State. Those big voting numbers uh, almost certainly benefit Democrats. And that's, that's something I've heard from worried Republican strategists. Your article talks about Republican strategists, but you don't necessarily name them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It- <laughs> Are, are they good Republican strategists? Well, you know, this guy um, that's not named, you all probably would be familiar with him. He's a pretty big, pretty big name who just, he, you know, he would have gone on the record saying some of what's in the story, but he didn't. He went a little further, more candidly uh, without using his name because he, he doesn't want to go on the record saying Trump bungled his debate performance, um, things like that. And how that's going to impact suburban women. Right. He made that directly clear and he just was uncomfortable saying that with his name attached. But uh, yeah, I think his concern is very real. Well, and as we've been discussing, there's been some local bungling, uh, Georgia bungling uh, with some of the Senate candidates that, that, that that's happened over the past couple of weeks. But I want to get back to something that you tweeted about, which is really fascinating. So there was a Biden rally that... Yeah. Jen went to, she was there honking her horn. I I honked like crazy. (laughs) Okay. Um, But you tweeted out 
that you yeah. were there and you, a Trump supporter approached you and- I had a run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, how did this come together? It was very strange. Very, very strange. And I actually have a short story about that specifically coming out on Monday. Um, mm. But what happened was essentially I showed up at the Biden event early. I was hanging out outside the gates, talking to, to folks on both sides. I was talking to uh, an, an elderly black man who uh, was a Biden supporter who after after we finished talking, just veered into the Trump crowd. And I thought, this is going to be interesting. I wonder how this plays out. So I followed him and he had a big sign and he was holding his arms up and he was being very vocal and not at all sort of being concerned about the the, the Trump crowd that was beginning to swarm him and yell things and do their slogans and all of that. And as I was watching that dynamic, uh, a guy comes up to me and uh, out of nowhere just starts calling me names. I don't think I need to say what he called me, but it was a pretty nasty term. And he repeated it over and over again. What does it start with? F. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He called me that repeatedly. And uh, I was just like, you know, I've been to Trump rallies. I'm not, it's not a huge shock, unfortunately, that this is how, you know, journalists and others. Uh, but wait, were, were you wearing a press thing or so? It was no, like- I just didn't. I don't know. I mean, I don't, he didn't really say, I'm saying this to you because you're a journalist. Right. I'm saying this to you because you walked over here with the Biden guy. I don't know what it was, but he didn't like me immediately. I did have a recorder in my hands that might've tipped him off that I was a journalist, but he just started calling me the F word repeatedly. And then it escalated to, you know, I'm going to punch you in your effing face, all this kind of stuff. And I'm not a, terribly small guy and I just I stood there and just sort of listened to him and said please be respectful and it kind of kept escalating until this is the sort of the amazing thing this woman walked up who I happen to know she's actually quoted in the story that we began our conversation talking about today the, the story about Georgia turning blue she's a tea party activist who also happens to have a lot of um, concerns about environmental issues which has made her an ally with some Democrats and I had quoted her in my story, and I, I've actually quoted her in a number of stories. And so I recognized her and said, hello, hey, Debbie. Uh, and then I kind of motioned over at this guy who'd been harassing me. And I said, can you believe this guy over here? He's, uh, he's been saying some pretty nasty things. And Debbie looked shocked, and he looked shocked. And she turns to me and says, that's my boyfriend, Jason. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I was just like, you got to be kidding me. And he was, I mean, he was stupefied, as I said in the tweet. And he kind of went, he walked away with his tail between his legs. And uh, he came back and I sort of said, well, now, you know, I'm a human being that your girlfriend thinks is an OK guy. You want to apologize? And then he, he re-escalated the rhetoric. He said the names again. He threatened me again. <laughs> and uh, and finally, Debbie, um, she intervened and just like, she said, come on, come on. Just like, just just give it up. Give it up. And he, he profusely apologized. Ultimately, I don't know how sincere it was, but it was just such a classic Trump era moment where a journalist and it could be journalists aren't the only ones who get attacked at these, these rallies, but journalists often are targeted and are, aren't viewed as humans. We're viewed as, you know, enemies of the state and um, fake news ambassadors or whatever. And this has all been prompted by Trump's rhetoric. And here was a guy who, who did that to me up until his girlfriend said something that forced him to acknowledge I was a real person. And, uh, you know, so I felt kind of vindicated and it made for kind of an amazing little vignette. Fortunately, nobody got hurt. So, so with respect to Debbie, you're talking about Debbie Dooley, and I know I am she, about Debbie Dooley, yeah, yeah. So she is very, she's widely known in the state, especially with her activism around the Tea very Party. Yeah. yeah, what's been fascinating for me is to watch her on social media because she oh, yeah. is a, a 
she's a, a huge supporter of Doug Collins and clearly does not like Kelly Leffler. So she has been one of the more outspoken kind of uh, Republican establishment, Tea Party, you know, kind of folks that's really been out there kind of um, trying to throw, you know, cold water on, on you know, Leffler actually being reelected. Did y'all talk about that at all? That race? Yeah, I mean, she, 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 she's been feeding me, uh, you know, stuff about Leffler and about Marjorie Green too, who she really hates. And of course, when Marjorie Green endorsed Leffler, De- Debbie was just like all over it. I mean, she thought, look at these two nut- nutcases, you know, she despises both of them. Oh my gosh. It's hard to sort of figure out, you know, I mean, how she can then support somebody like Trump, but let's put that aside for a second. It, yeah, it was very, very interesting to see how, you know, people in Georgia are increasingly able to bifurcate their their support um, for people within the Republican Party and decide that some just can't be, uh, you know, you we can't stand people like Leffler because they've done this, that, or the other, or Marjorie Green. So, yeah, it was re- it's really interesting to to find, you know, odd bedfellows, I guess, within the party. Well, isn't that what we all want at the end of the day to be able to, like you had at the end of that dust up, that he was apologizing and you're realizing you're both human beings and, the, yeah. you know, and it's like, dude, you're being ridiculous. Um, yeah. I, yeah. And he was, but he, you know, he started getting real buddy, buddy. And I was, I was like, but you do remember what you called me half an hour ago. Right. And he was like, Oh, did, did I really say that? And I was like, yeah, actually I have it on tape right here. Like you said it 15 times. <laughs> wow, and can he, you uh, send us that audio? Yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> no, I don't know if do that. Okay. He, he started talking about how, you know, his he started making excuses about how his beard was itching him under his mask. He was wearing a mask and the, the, the itchy beard and the hot shirt he was wearing made him sweat and all of these things contributed to his attitude towards me. And I was just like, that doesn't really add up. Wow. Um, but, what are you doing on election night, Charles? Um, I'm still looking, looking at possibilities. I don't, I'm going to kind of just see what, what happens. I think there's a lot of question marks, um, about where will be the most interesting places to be, but I'm certainly open to suggestions. If any listeners have any, um, please be in touch. I'll please be let us around. know. We're, we'll ask our <laughs> listeners for, you know, the yeah. hottest spots for election night. So I want you to make a call on the U S Senate races. And mm. when we release this, it'll be Monday and yeah. so, obviously, everybody will vote on Tuesday, and, and next week at some point, I think we'll have an idea, you know, who wins. So, so what's your what's your hot take on the U.S. Senate races? I think, I mean, obviously, with the second one, Warnock is going to go to a runoff. Um, I'm guessing it's going to be against Leffler, who will be, I think, ultimately an, uh, an easier opponent for him. I mean, not 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 easy, easy. Tell us why you think it's going to be Leffler. Is it just um, a gut feeling or is it? it well, I'm, you know? I'm just looking at polls. I'm just looking at polls. I mean, she has a lot of money. She's poured into her race. I mean, she's flying around in private jets while Doug Collins is getting stuck in his suburban on the side of the road. So With Carter Page, no less. <laughs> With Carter Page. What an amazing moment for the, the 2020 documentary. <laughs> right. You know, we've got Carter Page that came into town and then we had Roger yeah. Stone. We have uh, Mike yeah. Flynn's endorsement. Man, yeah. it is just Bad news bears. Yeah. Don't forget about Nikki Haley and her popcorn. She was in town right. too. Well, but I think she was there for her for her gal pal. That's right. Leffler. Kelly. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So I think, yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think Leffler has money on her side. She has the fact that she's the pseudo incumbent on her side. Um, obviously, there's lots of things that, that go against her as well, but I think she'll squeak it out against Collins. 
And then we're going to see them in January. I think likewise, Ossoff and Purdue is probably going to go to a runoff. You know, uh, I think he Ossoff could win. He had a great debate performance recently against uh, Purdue. Yeah, he did. That viral moment with 15 million people have viewed that clip of him uh, really ripping into Purdue and Purdue just sort of standing there and sort of awkwardly smiling throughout the whole thing. Um, I think that was that was pretty devastating. I, I think it's going to be very close, but I don't see either of them getting over 50 percent. Do you think it's because of the libertarians going to pull some some of that those voters away? I think I think the libertarian will pull just enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be so close. Just to remind folks, um, you know, in the past, for example, Johnny Isaacson in 16 got 54 percent and the Democrat got 41 and the libertarian got 4 percent. So talk about a different world we are living in now. Um, and Isaacson outperformed Donald Trump in 2016, too. And so and I don't think the polls are reflecting that um, that Purdue is going to outperform Trump, actually. Same. Yeah, that seems to be that seems to be right. But, you know, I don't claim to be, you know, an expert prognosticator. I'm just sort of reading the tea leaves like everyone else. Um, but anecdotally, there's certainly a lot of reason to think that Democrats are going to do well. I, 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 I'm very nervous and I just, I, I, I don't trust anybody. I just don't. I really don't. Just trust the, the, but the, the voting button. That's all you can trust. I guess so. I guess so. Well, um, this is something that we've been just going over a little bit on the podcast today. What, what do you eat or do you have any memories of any particular food <laughs> on election night or like when you've been covering uh, something in journalism is there a food that you associate with it huh like election i mean i can think back to 2016 i was at manuel's tavern like so many other people um in the crowd there were you, were you all there by any chance no i, I kind of uh saw the writing on the wall and i was in <laughs> yeah, bed by about 10 o'clock at night same i went home early too but yeah i think you know the taste of uh Cheap beer and uh, and French fries and manuals probably is what I most recently associate with elections. Something like that. Well, How about you? Nothing, nothing, nothing like PBR. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> but maybe we need to to upgrade a little bit, and maybe we'll have better better results this year. Yeah, Drink I think it's going to be best for Joe Biden. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> lot of bourbon for me. I'm or bourbon. just some you know Xanax. Really, I mean, I just it's just so close and it's so nerve wracking. And I, I I I feel like you know this is different than 2016 in the way that we're all so bruised from the not just the past four years, but the past. 2020 is 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 uh, tough. I think everybody just wants a hug and hope, hope, yeah. a hug and hope. Hopefully, they've directed a lot of that frustration and resentment into action. It looks like it. Well, Charles, thank you so much. Like really, yeah, really appreciate so this. Charles, our our number one. Okay, we're making you our official uh, correspondent <laughs> of the Voter Podcast from the New Yorker. I mean, that gives us a lot of cred. And by the way, we give you a lot of cred. So you you're do. you're yeah. welcome. Thank you all. You both do really nice things for me on Twitter. I appreciate it. <laughs> Charles, thanks so much. See ya. Talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. Take care. So what's really interesting about the article that he's just released is that Charles really has been on the ground here in Georgia talking to a lot of women in suburban Atlanta and really trying to get a feel. You know, he said it was anecdotal, meaning, you know, you can read a little bit into it, right? But you can't necessarily draw a 
a conclusion. But you know what? I want to give him a huge shout out for, for being here, talking to real Georgia suburban women voters and and, and really not just trying to, to dial it in or phone it in. Yeah, well, uh, it's exciting that uh, Charles is our number one correspondent uh, on the political correspondent. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about in the coming weeks. But uh, nothing more talked about than this sure Jan of the week. And I think it it really deserves a golden trophy. Sure Jan. Sure Jan. Sure Jan. Sure, sure, sure. The sure Jan of the week goes to Senator Kelly Leffler. Let's listen. Georgia is drawing a lot of national political attention this election season, as we've been discussing. And today, Republican Senator Kelly Leffler, who is fighting to keep her seat for a full term, doubled down on her support for President Trump. Today, she told reporters that she doesn't know anything about the 2005 Access Hollywood tape in which the president described sexually grabbing women. The topic came up after Senator Leffler said she doesn't disagree with anything Trump has, President Trump has said or done. 11 Lies Doug Richards has more. Earlier this month during a debate, Republican Kelly Leffler was asked if President Trump had ever said or done anything that she had disagreed with. Her answer was an emphatic no. Leffler has been running to keep the seat to which she had been appointed in the U.S. Senate, and she boasts that she is the Senate's most reliable supporter of the president. She was at an event in Buford today. Republican Congressman Doug Collins is trying to beat Leffler to get into a runoff in January. Following the event, Leffler was asked again about any disagreements with Trump and answered by talking up her support for the president. You know that President Trump was caught on tape talking about sexually assaulting women. You didn't disagree with that. What should, what does that say? Look, what I agree with is the approach President Trump has taken since day one to put America first. I, what I am here focused on is working for Georgians in Washington, in being their voice, in being a conservative champion for Georgians. You're still not disagreeing with President Trump's statements about personally sexually assaulting women. I, I'm not familiar with that. The Access Hollywood tape. He's referring to the Access Yeah, tape. no. Uh, look, this president is fighting for America. Leffler went on to say she will always stand by President Trump. The Access Hollywood tape, in which you hear Trump using rough language to describe his approach to sexually assaulting women, was shot 15 years ago. Trump has dismissed it as locker room talk. Wow. I mean, yeah. So the funniest part about the clip, y'all, is, and and Google it so you can watch it, is like the look on her face of sheer terror when Doug Richards asked her the question. And it's almost like she just, it's, she just doesn't even know what to say. I love how Doug Richards absolutely pressed her on this. And I, I, I have to, first of all, how can you be in American politics in in the past 10 years of politics, the past 20 years of politics, that was one of the biggest stories to claim that you didn't know what that was means you should not be a politician. You are doing a disservice to women. And 
You are not media trained, lady. So my question to you, Jen, does someone sit you down and say, here are the top five questions you're going to be asked that you need to have a strategy to answer to get off topic or move on? Of course. I mean, and look, I'm just at the state Senate level. You know, girlfriend has spent $30 million on her campaign. I mean, she even has her her campaign like outfit, you know, the gingham and the pants and the hat, all this stuff. She has basically workshopped everything she wears, what she says, what her social media does. And she can't even a- answer the one question that of course, everybody knew was coming after she said at the debate that she, there was nothing that she disagreed with in terms of of the president. So, yeah, let's do a role play for a second. OK, if I asked you that, how would you answer it? If you were her, how would you have answered that? Listen, l- let me tell you guys, this thing has been litigated before before he was elected in 2016. The voters have seen that. They've heard it. Um, they've judged that previously, and they elected him overwhelmingly and support him just like I do. So just because y'all want to trudge that back up, you know, to maybe get some ratings, that's not where we are right now, you know, and I'm just not even going to justify an answer to that. See ya. Mic drop. That is how you do it. And that's why... I'm sticking with you, sister. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not saying that's a good answer. (laughs) I'm just saying it may be the only one she had. It's the best answer ever. It's the best because you're right. That's how Doug Collins would have answered it. Of course he would have. He just would have said, this is silly. This is silly. Why are you people even bring that back up? I mean, you know, I mean, look, he's president of the United States. Best economy ever. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there you have it. So sure, Jan, Kelly, get it together, girl. We don't know what's going to happen. We may be dealing with Kelly for, for, uh, (laughs) you should see the look on Jen's face. So I don't know. So one thing I do, I do want to tell folks my COVID cocktail. Oh Um, shit. Of course. Yeah. It's the best and the simplest. Um, Basically you just squeeze Lime on uh, lemon on crushed ice, and then you get some Serona, the Amaretta liqueur. <laughs> you know, it smells like college, right? That's all you got to do. And man, it takes you back. So, you know, just relax. We're going to get through this together. Also want to give a shout out to OutLoudShop.com. They do some incredible political t-shirts. I just bought a whole slew of them to send to women candidates, um, Democratic women candidates running against Republican incumbents because they really stepped up, you know, to to, to take back their rights and, and, and to take these seats. So cannot wait to see what happens with these women. So excited for the results of all the women that you, Senator Jen Jordan, inspired. You are the one who really moved the needle with that. And I know you don't like to give yourself too much credit, but I'm going to do it every week and say that. Um, it's it's when you said, we're coming for your seats, you were not messing around. And the women of this state aren't. Listen, you can send us all your feedback. We absolutely love it. Follow us at Senator Jen. Follow us at VoteHerPodcast at gmail.com. We love your email. I'm at Mara Davis. We want to thank uh, Terminus Records for the music today. Uh, Christina Loringer is our editor and producer. Terry White does our cover art. Please listen and subscribe to our podcast every week. And if you can... 
Can you just write a review and give us a five star or give us a four star? Just give us any stars. But the more feedback we can have, the better, um, because we both have big egos and we really need this. (laughs) Maybe not Jen, me. Thanks, Mary. (laughs)